teaching on what we started last week with Pastor Sammy, who did such an amazing job. Well done, Pastor Sammy, with your grateful t-shirt on. Um, and so we, we're excited to be, as a movement, all over the world, just more churches than I know of, combining together to say, we are setting this week aside to consecrate ourselves, to abide in Him, let His Word abide in us. And so we trust that He'll do a miracle. So um, what I'm going to do is uh, carry on from where Pastor Sammy left off last week. And if you missed that, I encourage you to get that. But uh, Joshua, where's, where's Joshua? Where did Joshua end up? Joshua, you did so well. You did so well, bro. You preached my message right there, wrapping up worship. Uh, I love Joshua. He's just like a walking Bible. <laughs> it's like the scripture just spews out of him, you know. And uh, you, you're a true example of what it means to abide in the Word, and the Word abiding in you, bro. And, uh, you know, just starting off. From John chapter 1, our whole series really is looking at the power and beauty of God's Word illustrated in the book of John primarily. And in the book of John, we see something very unique. In John chapter 1, it's the only place in the Bible that it is done where he says that Jesus is the personification, the embodiment of the Word of God. It's the only place where that word for word is used with a capital W. Or wobble-woo, whatever you want to call it. Talking about Jesus, that not just the word of God as in the scriptures, the word that God would speak to us in our hearts, but that Jesus himself is the word. Right there in the beginning, when God said, let there be, how did God create? He spoke. The word was spoken and created. Jesus is that word. And so we want to look today... Uh, we looked last week, Pastor Sammy started by the fact that this word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That word became Jesus. But let's not get caught up in just looking at Jesus as a man. Amen. Who was Jesus before he became a man? He was the creator of the universe. Nothing was created without him, the Bible says. And so sometimes we get so caught up, like Paul says, we still view him as a man. Let us not do that anymore. When John saw him in the revelation, he saw a resurrected Christ who was so glorious, he fell flat on his face like a dead man. And I think sometimes we undervalue this word of God, this word who became flesh, because we still see him as just a man. Without realizing the power of God himself, the creator of the universe, was the one who came down and in a body of a man to show us what God the Father really is like. But this Jesus that we serve is so much more than just a man. Can you say amen? amen? And so we looked last week, the word, the powerful creator of the universe, he became flesh, but he's not flesh anymore. He's the resurrected king of kings, Lord of lords, name above all names. And I believe sometimes we need to lift up how we see our God. So today we are going to talk about the second part of our series, that the Word gives life. The Word is life, really. The, the whole theme of life throughout the book of John is a huge theme. It is mentioned over 17 times just referencing eternal abundant life. is one of the major themes in John. But I believe that there are so many Christians who know a lot about the life, who've read a lot about the life, but aren't experiencing the life. 
Now, if that's you here today, just raise your big toes because I don't want to embarrass you. No raising of hands. But I, I spend a lot of my Christianity knowing a whole lot about God, knowing scriptures, having memorized, could quote half of them, could quote a whole lot about the life of God. And I wasn't living in it and I wasn't experiencing it. God wants to take us to a higher level. Amen. Amen. So, Father, would you do a miracle this morning? We ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, an outpouring of the life of heaven. We thank you for your presence that came during worship, your presence that is in this place. We can feel you here, Lord. And we're asking for an increased anointing to open our eyes, to open our spiritual ears, to open our hearts, and recognize there's so much more than what we've been experiencing. To recognize that the life you paid such a dear price to fill us with is so much more than what we've imagined up until now. And I'm asking for a miracle this morning, Father, that you would open hearts and minds and you would release an increase of your life in our midst as a church. Make us the most alive people on this planet, in this city, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Take a walk with me. We're going to go through the Jerusalem gate called the Sheep Gate. And you probably got a few sheep going Meh, next to you and trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Sorry, that was a bad joke. But we've, we <laughs> don't feel sheepish about the fact that you have to bend a little going through the Sheep Gate. And you enter into Jerusalem through that gate. And there is a pool. And it is a huge pool. The Bible tells us in John 5 that it's got five colonnades with roofs over them. And as we get to this pool, we see a whole bunch of bodies just lying around like something in a movie. They lie on beds, they lie on mats, they lie on just about anything they can lie on. They, there's a lot of liars right there. And as we walk right through this crowd, we see that every single one of them are either blind or paralyzed. They lame. They have all sorts of issues, physical issues, and a whole bunch of them can't move. They stuck there. The interesting thing about this pool, the Bible tells us, is that every now and then, if we stood here long enough and watched, an angel would come down and stir the water of the pool. Remember, they didn't have pool pumps in those days, so, you know, have to have some other mechanism. But when the angel stirred the water of this pool, it became supernatural healing. And the first invalid, the first sick person, the first paralyzed person to get into that water after the angel stirred it was instantly healed. Isn't that cool? So we're going to build one of those in our new property. <laughs> Trust with us. But here's the deal. We're standing here looking at all of these invalids, paralytics. Jesus walks through the crowd up to one man. He's lying on a bed. It refers to it as a bed. Now, when we think bed, we think nice, big, comfortable mattress, you know, cloud nine and all the rest. They, that, this was more like a mat that most of them would have. And he's lying on his mat, and Jesus walks through all the crowds to this one paralyzed man, looks him in the eye and says, do you want to be healed? I would think that there would be a redundant question. <laughs> he's kind of like, Sir, he calls Jesus sir, which he doesn't know who he's talking to. He doesn't know that the person he's talking to is in charge of the angel who stirs the water, 
who's the one who gave the angel the power and authority to release the healing into the waters. And he says, sir, I can't, I can't. I want to get healed, but every time an angel comes and stirs the water, there's someone else that gets, sorry, I'm, that's American, water. Every time an angel comes and stirs the water, someone gets in before me. Water. 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 When he stirs the water. That's us. Thank you. Musa's just helping me with my Africanism. So Jesus looks at him and he says, I can see in your heart something special. You have been lying on this mat for 38 years. Paralyzed 38 years. And Jesus looks at him, he sees something special in this man, and he sees, you have not allowed these 38 years of disappointment to make you lose faith, to make you lose heart. You're still here trusting that you're going to get in there one day. You're still here trusting that God is still going to heal you. You're still pressing in. Do you know, I had a conversation with someone the other day talking about faith. And they said, you know, if you have great faith, it means that your prayers get answered. And my prayers haven't been answered. I've been praying for weeks now. That means, obviously, I don't have enough faith. And I said to them, I had an experience with God once where he said to me, who is the father of faith? Who is referred to as the father of our faith in the Old Testament? Abraham. Abraham's faith was not a faith that got him a son overnight. Abraham's faith was the faith to trust that God would do it after decades of not seeing the answer to the prayer. That sometimes true faith is the faith to press in and trust God and keep believing when you're not seeing the answer. If I have the answer overnight, then who needs faith? Are you hearing me? True faith is when I'm not seeing the answer. True faith is when I'm praying for one thing and I'm seeing the opposite. True faith is God says, I'm taking you to a promised land with flowing with milk and honey, and I'm stuck in a wilderness in the beating hot sun, and there's no water. 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 Sometimes we just have this like Jesus is a quick fix, you know. Jesus, I prayed the prayer. What, what are you doing? Faith, my friends, is the grace of God in your heart to stay true to Jesus, true to trust in Him, true to praise in Him. Why so downcast, O oh my soul, yet will I praise Him. Whether I'm in the valley or on top of the mountain, and Jesus looks at him and says, I see your heart, so get up, take your bed, roll that sucker up, put it under your arm, and walk. What does the man do? He jumps up, he takes his bed, rolls it up, and he walks. I don't know where he's walking to. If you've been sitting at that pool for 38 years, you probably don't have a home to go to. <laughs> Not only that, he says, I don't have anyone who helps me put me in the pool like the others do. So he doesn't have family. I don't know where he's walking, but you know what? If you haven't walked for 38 years, you're just going to walk. Man, he's got his, he's like, I'm just walking. I'm gonna, I, I can walk. Hey, hey, dude. I can walk, dude. And he's walking. There are a couple of problems with this. Uh, it's the Sabbath. You are not allowed 
to carry your bed on the Sabbath, according to the scabs and the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. So the Jewish rulers, Jesus comes with his word on the Sabbath. You, according to the Jewish religion, religion says, thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. The word who created says, get up, take your mat and walk and on the Sabbath. So the Jewish rulers, his word, Jesus, overrides the religion of the day. His word overrides that man's disappointment. His word breaks through his bondage, his brokenness, his broken body. And his word breaks through the religious rules, laws of the day. And I want to say to many of you that some of you are still stuck in religious legalism. And you need the word of God to break you out of that. So many Christians I speak to are mad at God or have a wrong view of God or don't understand the life we have because it's still legalistic religious bondage and Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Religion is all about what you must do to get right with God. Christianity is the only faith that says there's nothing you can do. Christianity is the only one that says Jesus did it all. It's not about what you have to do. It's all about what he's done. And the only way you can do it is to get into Jesus, get Jesus into you and become a new person. So now, <laughs> this man's wandering around with his bed. The, the Jewish rulers are like, you're not allowed to do that. Why are you doing that? He says, well, there was this guy who happens to have disappeared now. I can't see him. He told me to get up, pick up my mat and walk. Oh, and by the way, I've been paralyzed for 38 years. He healed me. Oh, we don't care about that. This is the Sabbath. I don't care what he did to you. You may not carry your bed. Where is this man? So eventually he finds Jesus and he's like, guys, guys, there he is. You need him. He's like so excited. That's Jesus. He's the healer. He can help you guys. <laughs> the Jewish rulers, however, are so mad at Jesus. As they come up to him, they start to persecute him. You know, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? <laughs> Who do you think you are? So Jesus is like, well, um, I'm the son of God, basically. He says, my father in heaven is working right now on the Sabbath. Therefore, I'm working right now. Now, they were mad at him for healing on the Sabbath. Now they're extra mad at him for calling himself the son of God. Jesus, Jesus doesn't really care much what people think about him, right? And so Jesus is there. My dad's working, so I'm working too. And it doesn't matter what man thinks. Now they, the Bible says they're seeking to kill him. They're not just mad at him. They want to kill him because he's making himself equal with God. And what is his response in John chapter 5? He says, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father in heaven doing. I want to say that most of my Christian life, I just tried doing stuff. But I was not listening to the father the voice of the Holy Spirit, and seeing what dad was doing. True life, true Christianity is, dad, what are you doing today? I want to do that with you. So often, we're trying to do so many things for him when he wants us to be living life with him. And then Jesus goes on, and he says this. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son gives life to whom he will. Religion brings death. 
Paul makes it very clear. The law brought death. Jesus brings, which side do you want to be on? Truly, truly, I say to you, in other words, pay attention. Whoever hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. Again, truly, truly. In other words, you guys aren't listening. Pay attention. I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. That's me. No, not me, Jesus. I'm and those who hear will live. I don't know how many people Jesus raised from the dead because in the Gospels it says if there were written down all the miracles that Jesus did, there would be not enough volumes in the world to hold the books. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This life that Jesus had is not just, well, you know, I'm alive. Well, you all have life in this place. Those of you watching online, you have life. But there's something about the life Jesus has that is a notch up. Would you agree? Jesus describes this life many times as being full, as being abundant, as being eternal. And, it's, and when we talk about eternal life, most Christians just think, well, I'm just going to stick it out down here, but I've got eternal life. When I die, I'm going to heaven. The Bible describes eternal life as the quality of life he wants you to live in right now. The type of life that is eternal, that is released from heaven, that all of us should be experiencing and living in. And so few Christians are living in the fullness of it. How do I know that? Because I've been in the same boat and ministering to so many. I've got to tell you this. You will have as much life of God and of Jesus as you press into and want to. He's not holding back on us. This eternal life. You know, the Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions. But God made us alive in Christ. So what is this life? What is this true life? Oh, I see. Are you guys changing my slides for me? I got this as well, so we can, we can both play. <laughs> Just showing you it works. Um, you know, I'm going to ask you two questions today, but what is this true life? And how do you get to experience it? When we talk about abundant, full life, i got to tell you that I've, I've experienced it almost kind of in increasing measure as a Christian going in my walk with God. And there are times that I feel it more and times that I feel it less. And a lot of it has to do with how Jesus says we live in it and how we get it. And so let's start here. I'm going to just take three scriptures to talk a little bit about this life. But in John 1, 4, it says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So here's one of the first things you need to see about this life that Jesus gives you is it fills you with light. One of Carol's favorite songs is a Don Potter song. I have a light and it always shines, shines in the day and it shines in the night. When the dark days come and the sun isn't bright, I will keep shining because I have a light. 
Now, you know, there's a whole lot of believers I know, church-going, born-again people. I am so grumpy because my bed was lumpy. It's light, and it's not just light. It says this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't just give life. I am life. John 10, 10, he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life abundantly. What kind of life does Jesus give? Abundantly. And so many Christians think, God, oh, you let that happen. And how come that stolen, that got broken, that got destroyed? Jesus says, I want you to know that's the thief. That is the work of the thief. James, do not be deceived, my brothers. Only good comes from above, from the Father of lights. Anything bad happening in your life, it is the thief. So you press into the one who brings abundant life. You know, when we, this is the true life. Not just a force, not just a feeling, but a person who fills you with light, who fills you with power, who fills you with joy, who fills you with peace, who fills you with confidence. Can you get the picture? The good life. Let me ask you this. If you, uh, I don't know, uh, some of you might actually know of articles, uh, not articles, um, uh, apps and, and, and websites called Facebook. Or WhatsApp. Or TikTok. Or Instagram. But if you go onto one of those and one of your friends has posted, living the good life. Soft life. Okay. Hashtag soft life. Moose is my translator. Thank you. What, what do you picture? What do you think is the video or the picture they got associated with? Living the good soft life. Usually it's probably something like that, right? <laughs> living the good life. And it was like, I'm jealous. Sitting here behind my laptop, having to work. And they're living the good life. Just had a storm. My roof's been blown away. Guys in KwaZulu-Natal lost half their stuff. Floods. They're living the good life. Look at me. You know, because mostly when you say the good life, the soft life, we think of it as a beautiful place or, or, or some place where we've got our material comforts, where there's great scenery, our physical needs are met, we pampered, we spoiled, we relaxed, we're safe. Usually it's physical and circumstantial where our, our physical needs are satisfied. But I can tell you now, I know a whole lot of people who have that and are still dead inside. Why do you think some of the richest people in the world are the most oppressed? Or people who are pushing after a goal, like winning the Olympics, and when they win the Olympics, they're more depressed afterwards. Because they realize that couldn't give me life. You can have all of that and not have life inside of you. The true good life that Jesus offers is the ability to experience light, love, joy, comfort, satisfaction, no matter where you are. Whether your circumstances are divine or your circumstances are difficult. Whether you're experiencing paradise or whether you're experiencing pressure. It's an inward life. You know, uh, 
it's not just that this life lives in us, but it's a life that kind of overflows and bubbles up out of us like streams of living water. 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 Merci. Jesus twice referred to it like this. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become like a spring welling up to eternal life. How many of you want that? And so many times my little river runs dry. My little spring is like just a little... Why? Because I haven't been hanging around the source and I haven't been drinking. Whoever drinks the water, I give them. You see, it doesn't just happen by being born again. You have to hang around Jesus. You have to be drinking from Jesus. You have to constantly be more and more filled by his Holy Spirit. Do not drink wine and get drunk on wine, but rather be filled, ever continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. And we think just because I'm born again, I must have it. I want to tell you being born again is the start of a journey of living continuously in the increase in life, in filling of the flow of his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The lady at the well, when he's talking about thirst, he's not talking about physical thirst. How many people do you know whose souls are dry and thirsty because he created us to be living on living water? He created us to be drinking from his fountain of life. And even Christians go thirsty. Because it's more of a belief system than a lifestyle of living in the well. So whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So these rivers come from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. It doesn't come from anything that the world can offer. And so many Christians you talk to, eternal life is something way out there. When they ask Jesus what is eternal life, he said, let me tell you what eternal life is. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And that word know does not mean know about. It means to have an intimate, relational, experiential knowledge. So the more intimate, the more you get to know God, the more you build with him, the more you live in him, the more you experience that quality of life that he called eternal life. So how do we get it? <laughs> well, that's a good question, and I'm so glad you asked it. Jesus, he's just finished having his Passover meal with his disciples. He's been washing their feet and had an argument with Peter about whether to wash his feet or not. They finally, Jesus won the argument. Now they've got their sandals back on and they walk in to the garden of Gethsemane. They don't know that Jesus is about to go and get arrested and go to the cross. Jesus knows this is the last moment he has with his disciples. And we are walking through the vineyards on the way to Gethsemane. And these vineyards are wonderful vineyards with big plump grapes on them. James is grabbing grapes and throwing them at John. Johnny's grabbing them, throwing them back. Jesus pulls them over and he says, guys, come over here. Let me show you something. And he points towards the grapes on the vine. He shows them how fruitful and how beautiful this vineyard is. And he starts by saying this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser who looks after it. 
Now, let me say this to you. I, I, I don't have any money on me, but if I did, and I pulled out a 200 Rand note, and I said, this is a true 200 Rand note, what does that imply? That there are some fake 200 Rand notes out there. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, don't tap into the false vines that the world is trying to offer. The world is full of false vines. Materialism, false vine. <laughs> nice big house, great job. People love me. I'm famous. I have 10,000 followers. Sorry, is that too little for you? Million. I got a million followers. Sorry, okay, gee. I, I was impressed that I had 10,000 followers. Anyway. There are so many vines that we try to drink from to feel alive. So many things we run to when we want to get comfort. When our soul is thirsty, where do we go? When you've had a hard day, things are going wrong. When work hasn't worked out, the geezer's burst, the car's broken down, the dog bit you when you walked in. You've been drained. Your soul is thirsty. Where do you go? That will tell you which vine you're tapping into. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, I'm the true vine. And if you tap into me, you're going to bear some really awesome fruit. And he introduces this whole concept that he is divine and we are debranches. How do we get it? The title of this series gives us the answer. What is the title of our series? So verse 4. So he says, guys, let me give you a secret. I am about to go to the cross and be crucified. You think I'm about to become king of the universe and chase the Romans away. I'm about to go and die. Let me tell you the most important message that I want to leave you with. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Which branch would you rather be? I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, not just abide, but remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do. I proved most of my Christian walk that in my own strength, my own giftedness, my own scripture knowledge where I could quote half the Bible, I still ended up not being able to do anything supernatural, heavenly, or like Jesus because I wasn't really abiding in him. I was just visiting now and then. I would visit and read oh, my Bible reading for the day. Got it done. Tick. Thank you, Jesus. Bless my day. See you tomorrow. There's a difference between visiting and abiding. Most Christians visit. Would you agree with me? Uh, not, not any of us in this room. Just someone you know, probably. <laughs> You know, the branch can be close. That branch is pretty close to the vine. 
The branch can know a whole lot about the vine. The branch can spend its time studying about the vine. But if the branch isn't grafted into the vine, drawing, drinking, feeding on the vine... Brother Lawrence, I'm going to close with this. Any of you met Brother Lawrence? I hope not because he died in the 16th century. (laughs) But he also lived in the 16th century. 16th century, Dark Ages monastery in France. And here in this monastery is Brother Lawrence... In the midst of the dark ages where there's no Bibles to be found, there are very few Bibles, so most of the teachings are heretical, and whatever the Catholic organization at the time decided they wanted to teach, praise God, is redeemed much of that. But when he's in this place, he, he tells us, I'm so confused. I don't know who God is, but I want to know him. And I'm in this monastery and I'm seeking God. And for 10 years, I'm cooking and I'm washing pots and I'm washing floors. And I'm crying out, God, I want to know you. Who are you? They say that. They say that. They say I must do this. They they say I must do penance. They say I must climb stairs. And they say I must, you know, pray to those bones that were apparently part of John's left toe. And he spends 10 years just crying out to God. He says, God, I want to know the real God. And he says it took him 10 years to realize who this real God was. God finally starts to meet with him. He finally starts to get into God's presence. And he says, I made it my goal for the next 30 years to never get out of God's presence. I wanted to spend every minute of every day bathing, drinking in his presence. Now, most people, when they look at Brother Lawrence, they see the influence he had. The king of France would go to Brother Lawrence for advice, wisdom, and counsel. The pope of the Catholic Church at the time would go to Brother Lawrence for wisdom, advice, and counsel. Cardinals, bishops, leaders. He didn't ask for that. What did he ask for? I just want the presence. I just want to learn how to abide in you. I want you to show yourself to me. People saw and heard about the glory of God on this man, the wisdom, the insight, the truth that flowed out of him. He didn't ask for that influence, but that was the fruit. He bore much fruit because of abiding in Jesus. You cannot bear fruit by trying harder. I know so many, I, that was my life. And train hard, Jesus, I'm going to be freedom. Today I'm going to be joyful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithful, self-control. I'm trying, Jesus, I'm trying. How many of you have been like that? The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. So my job is to stay in the Holy Spirit, drink the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, abide in the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, spend time reading His Word, make sure that I'm soaking in His presence. I'm not just leaving Him in my room where I worshipped Him and and read about Him and prayed to Him and heading off to do my thing, but I'm taking Him with me. And Brother Lawrence said this, you know, he said, my best times in God's presence were not during the compulsory times of prayer when everyone was seeking Him. My best times were when we were out there having to do the menial things, while working in the kitchen, scrubbing floors. And he said, we must learn that abiding in his presence doesn't just mean isolating ourselves from the world to be with him in the prayer closet. 
though that's vital. I think most Christians need to spend more time in that place. But it must become intimacy in all of life wherever we go. So Jesus wraps it up like this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. God, I asked you and you didn't do it. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Because then you will have my heart and you'll understand my passion. You'll understand my desires. You'll understand my will and you'll pray in accordance with my will. But this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. What is one of the greatest fruits of abiding in Jesus? Love. How many of you were here, well, might have listened to the message that that I preached on love a little while back. But I want to say this. Jesus said, they'll know you, my disciples, by your love. Not by your knowledge, not how good you are at critiquing the world and judging those who do wrong, but by your love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. He did not send his son into the world to judge the world. So he's not telling the church to judge the world, but to love. So he says, abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So we're about to go into a consecration week. I encourage you to get the devotional. Please do get the snap scan there. Many of you would have got the WhatsApp. There's a link. Get the devotional. You have a choice this week. I am trusting that God is going to take this church to a higher level of abiding in him during this time. A higher level of fruitfulness, love, passion, presence during this time. But it's up to you. It's a phrase that Don Potter once shared, and I've, I've listened to it so many times over and over. He's the same guy who sings the song, I Have a Light. But he said, you all have as much of God as you want. It's up to you. If you just visit now and then, if I visit my mom once a year, I'm not going to have an intimate relationship with her. If I just visited Carol once a year, what kind of marriage would we have? (laughs) How many of us think that we're just going to have this amazing relationship with God, but we visit him now and then? Instead of living in him, abiding in him, remaining in him, staying in him. That's what those words mean. So as we go into this week, we, some of you are going to pray and fast. I, I encourage you to fast responsibly. You don't have to fast the whole time. Set aside two, three days, one day, whatever. Just, but take time to set aside where you're going to say, I'm going to seek and spend more time in his presence. That as we leave today, let's do this. Let's leave longing to learn the lifelong lesson of living a lifestyle of lingering in the Lord's life, love and light, leading to looking like him, leading like him, and loving like him. Amen. <clears throat> Take time to meditate on his word like never before. Take time to spend in his presence like never before. Put more worship music on in your house. Constantly aware of his presence, whether you go to work or whether you step into an office next to your bed, which the world has kind of changed. So in conclusion, friends, let Jesus' words break through to give you life. Abide in him, abide in his love. Let his words abide in you so we can truly bear his fruit. Amen. Why don't you just stand right now with me as we close. And just say this with me, Lord Jesus.
You gave everything for me. I'm sorry that sometimes I just visit. That there are other vines that I've been trying to get life from. Today I give myself to you. I want you to be the true vine that I drink from, that I live in. Teach me by the power of your spirit how to abide in you, remain in you, stay in you, your presence. I want to be someone who is in constant communion with you. Teach me how to do that. This week, Lord, as we seek your face, together with your church, visit me, visit my family, fill me more, give me a hunger for your word, for your spirit, for your presence, for your voice. Make me alive. Give me that light that I'm going to shine wherever I go. Thank you, Jesus. Do you have anything you want to add? Let's just close with worship. Pray this together in response.
this to be a start of every day. As Andrew was preaching, I felt, I felt the, the anointing on, on that moment when he talked about us being, I mean, I felt the anointing all the time, but specifically on that, that moment when he talked to us about us being filled with the Spirit. And I feel like I want to just right now allow us to be filled again. Holy Spirit, I ask for each person here. I, Holy Spirit, come. Lord God, there are dry places in our souls. Lord God, there have been places where we haven't been abiding. There have been things that have come and taken our attention away from you. Lord God, there's been, there have been cares and worries that have driven themselves into our souls. Lord God, and Father God, we cry out to you for mercy. We cry out to you. Come and wash that all away. Come and fill us again with the power of your presence. Holy Spirit, touch every part. Lord God, let us leave here transformed. Let this word we've heard. Let this word we've heard truly abide in us, Lord. Lord God, let it not just be a moment. Let it be a lifestyle from here on out. Where you are, won't you just open your heart? Won't you just take a step of faith and say, God, right now I choose to believe that you're filling me. I feel you touch my dryness. Lord God, you know, most of all, being filled is something about just believing that He loves you and allowing yourself to feel loved. So Lord, right now we, we feel loved, we feel chosen. We, have heal, we choose to feel taken care of, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Those of you who are receiving from Him, won't you just continue that? There's like a waterfall of His presence flooding your heart. Just let it happen.